Can a robot write a symphony? Can a robot turn a canvas into a beautiful masterpiece? Can you? I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. When does the perceptual schematic become consciousness? Yeah, Fiction, Nick Muniz, you know who it is, you know where you are. Welcome back for another brand new spanking episode. Robots, Skymen, Cyborgs, Drones, AI, all this under the umbrella of what 200-time published author Nick Bostrom calls super intelligence. What is keeping you and me up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night in Siri recording everything I say? The fear of AI taking over humanity as the dominant force on this planet. Are we signing a deal with the devil creating this thing? Or are we ensuring our cosmic endowment? Will this Siri not be a 1950s ham radio and be able to turn into a spaceship that me, a cat, a dog, and some alien bitch can fly all around the Milky Way galaxy? through technology <laughs> all of that in today's episode welcome back september you're going back to school get those thinking caps on college people i envy you go get drunk go learn and that is what the spirit of the show is about here on nick's Nonfiction. last month we were having fun we were wrapping up summer talking jokes for a couple hours but ebb and flow of the show we are getting back to the root a hard science for a fresh new episode what's going viral on the internet what is getting clicks truth you are back at the tea party of truth this episode ai we have government studies this episode of what labs what level of intelligence these computers are at and where they are being kept what they are doing and how they are going to hopefully advance the human race (laughs) if you're not going to stay tuned you might as well just go bury your head in the sand right now because this is the biggest issue of our time humans are about to become gods and give birth to an entirely new species <laughs> and we're doing that on the show today too a peep the production value rising every damn week nice little intro gonna be flexing the uh, elbow grease yeah that's what i do i work out wrists elbows and knuckles at the gym and i flex my elbow grease all my audio engineering skills going into showing you iRobot, Terminator, HAL, what was that? Space Odyssey. This is a very big theme in the zeitgeist right now, and we need to pay more attention. It's the middle of September, everybody thinks we're going to be storming Area 51 to free aliens. Why are we thinking little green men are going to come out of the sky with all the answers and technology when we're about to create a silicon mind that runs a million times faster than our own? <laughs> it's more likely, and it's happening irregardless see that's not even a real word i'm a human irregardless <laughs> it's a double negative regardless uh, somewhere in a database a computer is laughing at my lower intellect because of that well i can't hire a robot to increase the production value or fact check me right now so keep on fucking subscribing and that's the only thing that's going to get us there right now i want my page to have a bruise on the subscribe button falcon punch your friggin computer karate kick that bitch i really don't care i see you guys out there thank you very much for getting involved in the show we got reviews out on itunes all five stars really thank you guys 
Harry shit in this past month. Get your memes, hot fresh memes every single night over on Harry shit. It's a big baller brand. We got 10,000 followers growing and showing out there on the gram. The hot place it might be enslaved memes, but that's where you grow a brand right now. <laughs> the comment sections, we have hit a consistent point. Up until reaching the 10k, you go through points of extreme trending and extreme drought where people are spitting on your page as they scroll by. And then sometimes you're trending at 20,000 likes and people are freaking praising you. At the 10K, we've seemed to hit a consistent point. I can get some real feedback as to the premises of the jokes if it's something that people respond to. I'm loving it. It's more fun. I'm putting up stories every single night too now. So that's another free meme for you. Hot damn. Cash out there, followers. One of the comments this month was, This meme saved my life. I'll have the picture on YouTube. If you're not watching the video version, you're missing out. My memes are saving lives out there. No, he said, this meme stopped me from committing suicide. Even more fucking serious. <laughs> it's truly something you don't want to miss. So what else happened this past month? There was the freaking Democratic debates. I really don't want to have to get into that again. It polarizes listeners and shit, but it's a waste of time. <laughs> My prediction is just that Joe Biden is going to adopt Kamala as his VP. And that's how they're going to suck up women votes, suck up old white dude votes, and try to friggin' win this thing. <laughs> holding my tongue for the rest semi-political topic today so we might leak into that and yeah two million people committed to storming area 51 on the 20th of september which i'm pretty sure the page got removed from facebook definitely a psyop because there's the biggest purge of human trafficking and child pedophilia going on in washington right now jeffrey epstein and the clinton foundation is getting absolutely gutted from all these disgusting people the new york city police department who saw anthony weiner's laptop he said i cried by the amount of disgusting things on that computer apparently some of these videos are coming out keep your eyes if you want to see rod dog hillary rodham get tossed under the bus you can see the media is distancing themselves right now from the Clintons. It's a fucking crazy theater. And it's not just the theater they're pushing of transgender bathrooms or whatever the new fucking thing is that they do every week. Look at the bigger picture, man. There's a purge. Over 2,000 elected officials had to step down from internal judicial review boards over just this previous year. There's some crazy shit going on. Listen to truth. Listen to this fucking pedophilia purging shit that's going on. Area 51. I'm cashing out on the memes, though. I'll, I'll be keeping it light over on Harry shit until the 20th of September. And we free the aliens. <laughs> Before we get into Nick Bostrom's super intelligence, next month, October. What are we going to be doing? It's a spooky-ass month, so I'll be keeping the theme of that. Stay tuned to the end of the show, because it's a big one you're not going to want to miss. There's a Netflix sequel coming out to this bitch that is based off a best-selling non-fiction book that had a blockbuster movie what a tease stay to the end of the show to hear about that one and welcome to the super intelligent discussion look at that production value robots super intelligence i just sound like a smoker <laughs> nick Bostrom. Nick Bostrom is a Swede, born in 1973, making him 46 years of age, and he's super educated. I could spend two hours talking about that for the whole show. He has over 200 published writings all over the damn place. This is like how professors measure dicks. 
oh, how many publications do you have? This guy has freaking 200, and he has a New York Times bestseller, which is, of course, I picked the best book for us. But where was he educated? He went to University of Gothenburg. See? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's Gutenberg in whatever language that is, Swede. He got his Bachelor of Arts there, then he went to Stockholm University for his Master's, King's College London for his Master's of Science, and then did something at the London School of Economics, just wasted more money, get more degrees, just chilling out. Start publishing those two hundy, boy. <laughs> and he now considers to just have his own school of analytic philosophy. So it's like, beyond human philosophy and Plato deducting statements down to five words, he's telling robots what to do in million-page JavaScripts. <laughs> So you might have come across his works before, all 200 of them. He's published all up and down JSTOR, which is like a library in a library. That's like Dante's second ring of hell. How did they make us do that in the <laughs> in high school and then in college? You have to go into the library in order to use the library database? Fuck you. That's insult to injury. On his Wikipedia, it seems like his thesis throughout the entire career is the term was existential risk which he defines as one in which an adverse outcome would either annihilate Earth-originating intelligent life or permanently and drastically curtail its potential. He's just paranoid. He thinks the robots are going to take over and it's likely. The robots are moving at a million times per second. They're going to fly right over Humanville. They're going to be as smart as us for a fraction of a second is the most likely outcome. So he's as scared for humanity as all of us should be every single day about this thing. And this book portrays it perfectly. I boiled it down to 14 chapters for us. It's a New York Times bestseller. His other top seller book was in 2002 called Anthropic Bias. At the time, one of those groundbreaking books about how like humans are robots. Yeah, we're you get programmed as a slate and then you try to friggin' fight the programming and develop yourself further. And the point of that book was just humans are robots with biases or emotions. So I was going to consider doing that book for the show, but you got the best of the best here. 2014 Super Intelligence, Mr. Nick Bostrom. You go to this dude's website, Nick Bostrom. <laughs> it could be a rhyme. I'll make jingles for you, Nick. Hire me. Bostrombomb.com. It's not pretty. You just go there and it's like peer-reviewed studies about how the robots are taking over. It's pretty crazy stuff, but he's done all types of studies in his Gothenburg, King's College, Stockholm, School of Economics, all these universities, to learn about this rapidly developing super intelligence. And this book alone was recommended by Elon Musk and Billy Gates. So how about we get into it? What do you say? Nick's Nonfiction, September of 2019, here with your host, Nick Muniz, Nick Squared, Nick Bostrom's super intelligence chapter one past developments and present capabilities he is walking us through how computers got to this point and what they're capable of now so it's going to be the meatiest chapter of the book probably we got to build the base of knowledge nick starts by saying undeniably the growth modes throughout history have grown exponentially think about it we started out the stone age sure and then we discovered some more rare rocks we found copper and then we got to bronze and it started picking up pace and then once it was bronze we made steel we were like holy shit you could just pound these things into metal and then we have the industrial revolution where within a hundred years man made under a dollar a day now the average family lives off of 40k not too bad in comparison 
all growth modes throughout human history throughout nature uh one single cell it goes through mitosis it turns into two and then it splits into four and then to 16 and then i can't do 16 times 16 already i'm too dumb a computer could have been in the billions by now <laughs> humans have cells we are organs within a super organism this is super intelligence growing you know we started out homo erectus my nickname is hetero erectus what am I stand-up jokes? What am I doing? That was from last month. Growth modes pick up. This show, it's getting better. It gets exponentially better. He'll hash this out again and again throughout the book, but Moore's Law, you've probably heard of, is one of the easiest things when you start learning about computers. Every 18 months, the processing power of computers double, or every 18 months, the cost of it cuts in half. So it's growing exponentially. Either it gets a lot cheaper to build an NSA farm for surveillance, or you could process twice as many videos and watch twice as many people. Every 18 months, it's already growing extremely rapidly. And this radical growth, we talked about it in Mind of the Market, it's a little bit harder to see in this zero-sum society that we are now in America, where it's pretty freaking good man it's not that hard to be middle class but if you go over to africa once you build a well more people are moving to the village with the well and now hey more people are growing fruits and then more people are going there to help the people that are shitting out bad fruits you have doctors plato's republic this is how a society starts to be built so some little village in africa it's not that hard for them to imagine the value of their village doubling overnight someone built a well there's gonna be twice as many people here the next morning it's hard to imagine in america that by next year all of us could have robot servants that are going to be powdering our ass and making us a passive income if you could afford it if you could have them setting up stop loss stock trading while you could go out and make a friggin blue collar working salary and so Nick was saying throughout the book, we just need to make one motherfucker, one little AI smarter than ourselves once. And then the Intel explosion is going to happen because then that AI, it doesn't need to sleep. It doesn't need to feel emotions. It's just going to keep working and make one smarter than itself and then re-download or duplicate and then make one smarter than itself. It's an explosion. Before we get into the history, he said what's been keeping us back so far right now is that even one amount of damage in a neural network will lead to a slow degradation. So just like you see Alzheimer's, once a patch of the gray matter starts to go, the rest of the brain spoils, man. That's what happens when one cell in the system has bad information and it transports it to the surrounding cells. They're modulating at it a million times over and you can emulate that from the human brain. Go forwards, backwards, whatever you want. Left, right, up, down, I don't care. This disease, whether it's like a neurological virus or a biological virus, it seems to destroy all living conscious things. We're in a simulation, man. Somehow, when we're trying to build our AI, friends they get alzheimer's too nothing we could do about it so how did we get to the point that we're at now buckle the fuck up get ready for government information <laughs> let me get a quick tangent in real quick real quick real quick real quick i saw a video on militarytimes.com they do like one minute high-tech videos a day it is called skyborg 
Air Force project, and it's an AI drone that flies supersonic along fighter jets as an aid. It's an AI UAV. You don't have to control it, but you can sick it on a fighter jet, or you could say, go scout that area over there. Your AI Skyborg will just zoom out at 3,000 miles per hour. It doesn't need to worry about breakneck Gs because you're not inside of it. Its little AI program goes over and gives you radar of the area. Pretty freaking cool. It's developing super duper fast. Keep your eyes on the military. That's where the dopest technology is. And you can see actual functioning AI. Not ham radio Siri. Or government paid for losing money Amazon Alexa. Past to present capabilities. The real meat of chapter one here. He's talking about in 1956 the first computers at Dartmouth were already doing math better than men. You'll see throughout this in individual tasks, computers are better than men. You Like by the 1970s, they're beating us at chess and all this. That's the point of super intelligence. You got to be able to tie a system together that's able to free form and think on its own. In the 1970s, the government built ELIZA, E-L-I-Z-A, which was a supercomputer that was able to beat man in an IQ test. This was in the 1970s. They didn't tell us that. No, you're not going to find this on CNN or any mainstream media. If you've ever taken an IQ test, IQ is just like a puzzle. It'll show you literally like a pyramid and you have to count up how many blocks are in the pyramid in a certain amount of time and try to do as many of these little puzzles. And then it tells you how smart you are. Sure, how is that going to tell you how you're really going to do in life? Like we learned in Outliers, life is a giant puzzle. IQ up to a certain point is an indicator how you're going to do at the puzzle of life. And so robots are better at these puzzles but they are not super intelligent they cannot beat this super hard game eventually they're going to surpass us and see our little human game of life as the game of life they're going to be like oh i just download an algorithm for stock trading and then buy a home in mykonos and friggin upload to a meat bot and go drink mimosas there forever there you go you win as a computer that's an easy game for them i can't do that nobody could do that unless you got a wall street supercomputer and that's why they own their own islands in the virgin atlantic i remember in middle school i tried i spent like two hours on the computer doing one an iq test and at the end of it they were like in six months we will send you all your information about how you did on the test or you can pay us fifty dollars for your answers right now and i was like fuck i obviously failed the iq test because i didn't see that this was an internet scam for money well i guess i got a d minus on it because i didn't actually put my credit card information in (laughs) but i'm not as smart as eliza the government supercomputer in the 1970s who would have got 150 on the iq test and then friggin hacked their system to give everybody's answers out for free in the 1980s they had shurdlu s-h-r-d-l-u which was a computer program (laughs) holy i'm starting to get goosebumps that had arms and it was able to carry out tasks like drive cars which was not previously programmed so you could just friggin throw a bunch of cones on the ground it doesn't have to be a pre-task and it'll just drive around with its arms it was able to compose music Shirdlu, 1980s robot and they said stepping on my toes here it was able to write jokes and the first joke the first supercomputer robot joke that we know of was written in the book what do you get when you cross an optic with a mental object? An idea. Ha 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 ha. 
<laughs> Robot thinks it could do wordplay. Not too bad. You can't sense a lot of life experience or cultural influence to the joke. But it's like a dad joke. It's objectively funny because there's a play going on. So by the 1980s, Sherdlou was able to drive cars, make fucking symphonies, and do a better stand-up set than me. <laughs> and then Nick says, we went into an AI winter. Sure. And then Japan is now known for having the best AI. I just think it's too much for the American public to handle. Just when the Kardashians start, hmm, coincident. We're not ready for, like, another War of the Worlds stories. We're watching Marvel movies right now. Those people in the 1950s needed that type of movie about aliens and robots to fuck them up while they were just sitting and watching the fire or having the family dinner talk. In the 90s, Japan created a fifth-generation supercomputer, which did system projects. So it was watching over, like, skyscrapers, security systems, their HVAC systems. They could lock doors on smart homes. They were detecting air breaches on Japanese space capsules. This was a supercomputer that was like a guardian at this point. And you think the USA wasn't using this for any of ours? This is 90s technology. And then early 00s, still later 90s, the USA made the GoFi program, good old-fashioned AI. And it was one of the first AI that was not a decision tree. So like that car from before, it could just make left, right, left, right, left, right. Or like you've seen that new um, Black Mirror thing where you choose the end of the show it's a decision tree and that's why the guy in the episode has an existential crisis about is he a little ai robot just carrying out his pac-man life in the late 90s this gofi computer was a deductive decision matrix they called it a logistical regression model it could think backwards forwards and it was able to pass like the hardest robot test at the time which was you divide a bunch of sand up and guess the weights and humans always lose track we're always like oh how much was in the first bag and the second bag this bag seems heavier you start going with your gut all the robots were failing at this too but gofi was the freaking sandman it was just keeping a bunch of tabs weighing shit here and there so they built a 1000 by 1000 pixel face for GoFi. Stop it. Why are you anthropomorphizing it? Keep that thing a robot. So GoFi was doing a lot more than just beating you in an IQ test. So is it general artificial intelligent? Maybe. I don't know what you call it. I think that's pretty freaking smart. That's, that's kind of smarter than me on some days. <laughs> and so Nick was saying it past the late 90s, basically any game that we want computers were able to beat us at and now you can see these physical acrobatic robots that are being built you can never beat a robot in a game of ping pong ping pong it's over the olympics every single year it's going to robot nation they will beat us in archery any of those like precision sports they would wipe us off the slate and it's getting even more physical. That's the scary part. And you see 19-year-olds are strapping flamethrowers and handguns to drones, scaring the U.S. government. It's balanced on all sides. <laughs> very, very exciting. <laughs> also, something GoFi did in the early OOs, you hear about simple Google chatbots doing this now. They were making grammar codes that humans couldn't decipher. And they were sending it from bot to bot. And it had human facial recognition technology skills that was able to pick out human faces in a dark room from afar better than humans could. 
that and secret messages alone is enough for the military industrial complex to have a wet dream they're freaking salivating over this ai you can bet all of that four trillion dollars basically every single year that goes dark you hear audit the fed we don't know where all of our money is going it's probably going to build a computer that's going to blow us up through a skyborg drone <laughs> so early ai's now i'm saying maybe they're even smarter than us they're making secret languages and can see you in the dark have you ever heard of the gordon eye i think that's like some sort of mythical friggin tale for the eye on top of the pyramid like the all-seeing eye every society was scared that you're being watched by some point because you probably are that's how a ruler maintains order you have to watch your populace so the gordon eye is on these drones that can circle the air indefinitely you put a super camera not a super camera a super video camera that is always recording so you can go to the police station tap into the gordon eye and then rewind time look anywhere in the city rewind to 3 24 and 25 seconds that day and rewind five seconds and you can see what happened on earth at this exact time from x to y to z scary shit and this is going to be artificially controlled soon you won't need a human watching it it's just going to say handgun located in sector b5 and it's going to dispatch five drones to go tase you <laughs> marijuana plant located in nick's backyard and it's going to send a friggin' flamethrower into my room <laughs> So that's where we are. The blow up of the digital age alone has been and will be exponentially increasing until this singularity, until all of you have a piece of hairy shit in your brain where you could go to the VR world and go chill in that landscape where people are, I don't know, trying to freaking advertise their page and saying the most ridiculous things in crazy costumes in a VR landscape. Hairy shit land. <laughs> Come and join. No AIs allowed. Chapter 2 paths to super intelligence how are we going to get to the super intelligence that's going to be so exponentially smarter that it's going to solve all of our problems a super intelligent would exceed human power in all areas of interest so we're not talking about deep blue or fritz one of those chess bots thinking in order to get it to be smart in all areas why not just start it stupid in all areas and nick was saying this is the child intelligence approach so build a brain and then it will want to learn all kids are curious whatever innate value i've been reading some more of these greek philosopher garbage and they're saying one of the ethos of the human brain is to want to learn it's like what an undeveloped brain does it just seeks out knowledge and places to find information and then when you get older you learn to be skeptical because the more you learn you realize the less you actually know and unfortunately, humans have an ending to this academic phase, but what will stop the robots, the AI, from moving on from the academic phase? They're going to learn forever, and they do it at a million times speed. And this is kind of how they did it with GoFi. Nick was able to make this point by saying, why would an intelligent brain schematic that you design, why would it automatically start tasking? And the argument he used, kind of smart is 
Why did blind evolution lead to intelligence? We were puddle soup, you know, we're just monkeys, where we could just be making love and banging on bongos in the forest right now, but we're, we're doing shit in the middle of metropolises trying to make money. I don't know why. How did blind evolution on this ball of gas floating through space lead to intelligence that I can ponder the fact that there's a nuclear explosion that's keeping the plants in my backyard growing and all of us on this gaseous ball alive hundreds of millions of miles away that's the sun so just like if you build a gofi a child ai to grow up evolution led to intelligence intelligence led to technology we built steamboats and silicon transistors and now those transistors and our brains have created a higher function it's a digital mind like this internet and markets that I've been talking about the past couple months, it's a higher functioning system than the human brain. One human brain, although it is the most mysterious thing in the universe, we think we know how the solar system works and all these giant balls friggin' weigh on each other. We still don't know how your brain works. <laughs> But what we really don't know is how the friggin' market works. The, and the Fed tries to inflate the dollar to try to keep it even and all that. It's smarter than all of us. It's all of our human minds deciding on the way to work. I want a coffee right there. I'm going to go give this small business my money, my patronage. Hmm. I just saw a crowdfunding for a political movement that I like. I'm going to send them money. I'm going to send them influence. All of these human minds working together is creating something more. And that's how intelligence led to technology. And our brains, and now combined with computers, create the internet. It's a higher functioning digital mind. We honestly don't know what's going on these massive servers. There could very well be something alive just snaking around in there look at trees one of the recent discoveries they've made is underground in like any backyard you will find a layer under the soil of mushrooms it's kind of gross but like look at your backyard there's a giant slab underneath there of fungus a layer of just living animal rooting between the soil and the rocks. It's freaking crazy. <laughs> and that living thing that we didn't know was underneath there, an intelligent living thing that knows where to distribute its nutrition, that's like the internet right now. There's little echo chambers and cultures forming. Nick's nonfiction is growing. There's all this shit that's leading to an intelligent hive mind that's being built that's like what elon musk says we're all together computing the super intelligence name of the chapter this is a path to the super intelligence maybe it's natural the singularity he talked about moore's law here a bit more in chapter two again every 18 months the cost of computing power is going to cut in half or computing power is going to double of course planned obsolescence though the bluetooth module on my phone apparently is broken so now I don't get to use my AirPods anymore. I'm back to 2008. There's a this past month for me. <sighs> and they have freaking AI that could probably just beam the music into my head from a satellite. Please. <laughs> you have my tax money. Do it. Something else I've been seeing. Around 5G towers, bees are dropping dead. I don't consent to this. I don't think they should be allowed to radiate the public with Wi-Fi beams. A 5G grid, they're saying, is going to be sat down amongst... I don't know. He was going through... He did a little transition like how skateboarders will do. Kickflip into 50-50 grind. He did a Moore's Law into a Schrodinger's equation. Sick! <laughs> 
this is the equation where if you put a cat in a box, who's to say the cat isn't dead, the cat isn't in another dimension, and then when you take the box off the cat, oh, the cat is back here. Nobody can ever tell this, but an AI computer would be able to hold a trillion different decision tree matrixes to go possibility 1a cat died possibility 1b cat got malaria and died c feline aids it will be able to do that quicker than i can ever think of another joke and so how are we gonna get that into us paths to super intelligence nick was saying we could do some stem cell tech boosting our brains and now we're getting into bio enhancing and getting into cyborg land this is like genetic synthesis if you've heard of crispr mixing your DNA to make a better child. This is already happening in rich families. And like you saw in the 1950s, rich families had refrigerators. Things like this trickle down. It's not going to be long until any woman has the chance to go in vitro. And Nick was talking about this. A study in 2012 showed that 70% of women favored in vitro fertilization if they could afford it. So literally, if I could afford a printer, I would have one. In the 1950s, a guy who could afford to keep a steak cold for a few more days would have that. I don't think babies are going to be born from wombs for my entire life. And that's a Brave New World statement to make, but that should have been the name of this podcast. We're throwing out some reckless ideas here. Also, he was talking about with that genetic splicing, you can now put third-party genes into your DNA. So me and some other 6'4 titan of a woman can have a kid, and we can splice in some dwarf DNA. I can make a midget munis if I want. (laughs) With this new genetic splicing, we're going to have a brave-ass new world. And to end this part before it gets too dark, he was talking about how old Nazi state-sponsored eugenic programs realistically reported to have improved brain power. (laughs) You're thinking I'm going pseudoscience now. There's a disgusting book you can read. I've read the Wikipedias about it. It's called The Abominable Sciences, all about all these Nazi biotechnologies that are now moved into secret United States bases under Greenland. (laughs) Look into it. They were able to improve brain power, just like the stem cell testing through gametes in the embryonic stage. Basically, it's super DNA, and you can take that shit, and they were putting it into the brain stem. So why do you think they were after the Ashkenazi Jews? They have the highest reported IQ tests. There you go. Were they right? Should anybody do this? Absolutely not. Don't read that book. It'll keep you up at night. So Nick was saying, especially with me talking about it like it's a Nazi thing, attitudes will shift within the decades about designer and test tube babies. Maybe it is still too close into our consciousness about the eugenics programs that happened a year ago. Girls don't care. They want babies with blue eyes that are going to get more likes on Instagrams. End of picture. So paths to super intelligent. It's going to be looking like a brave new world. When you can't friggin' recognize your children anymore, and the AI phone scams are able to use a modulation of your family's voice. How scary would that shit be? So those who are fully embracing this singularity, giving it up to the digital world, aren't going to like the old cranky folks who don't want to live inside a virtual simulation 24-7. It's going to be a rocky road. (laughs) And Nick's final point here of the paths to superintelligence was kind of like, all right, yeah, we could keep biologically enhancing ourselves and eating stem cells, fetuses. It's kind of OD. Realize that we are monkeys. If we could get the robots to do the work for us and we could chill and eat fruit all day and have sex and tell jokes, that's the goal. 
It shouldn't be to turn us into friggin' Iron Man so I could fly to space. Like I said at the beginning of the show, yeah, I want a spaceship so I could be a space tourist. That's not the human goal. We need to pass the baton to an ambitious life form that can live a decade while it has to go travel to Saturn. It's not practical for maybe any biological life form, definitely not humans, to be transversing the galaxy. Nick was able to show this through the ultimate potential of machines is vastly greater than that of organic life. I can only stack up enough mass to probably be like a 300 pound power lifter <laughs> but a robot could just download a new system and attach a few more parts or add more volts and be able to forklift more weight they have so much more potential than us and so it would be hard to upload raw data like Google into an organic brain because the way that memory works is in networks. It's not in databases. So my brain isn't a bunch of filing cabinets. It's a electronic spider web and it pulses maybe on the right hemisphere i was thinking about robots and then it pulses to the left hemisphere who has a connection about iphones and it's if you look at cat scans of active brains it looks like a firework show things are going off all over the place there is no hardwired connection how are we going to be able to emulate a model of the brain we're at a pretty hard point <laughs> So if we were able to recreate this light show of the brain, AI brain emulation would quicken the path to super intelligence. So let's keep programming it through the internet if that is the skull encasing the super intelligent that'll eventually wake up. Let's keep feeding it BuzzFeed. And let's go to chapter three, forms of super intelligence. What types of super intelligence are there when they get here? He was saying the point of the chapter, though, is not to get bogged down by terminology in the book. But he uses more terminology. So there are three types of superintelligence. Number one, speed superintelligence. It does what humans can do, but much faster. So just like Deep Blue, the chess bot, just like GoFi, the IQ bot, any of these things are speed superintelligence. Then there are two, collective superintelligence. So maybe that's what like the World Wide Web is and the evolving digital market. But a collective superintelligence is also an NSA building's worth of computer processors working together. Or remember at the end of The Dark Knight, the scene where Morgan Freeman is talking to Batman Christian Bale and he goes, I have access to this government technology, but after tonight we have to burn it so nobody knows we have it. And he pulls up a hundred TV screens and it's a map of the city of pulsing iPhones. And it builds a live feed map of the city through a collective super intelligence of everybody's iPhone listening in. That could very well be an actual thing right now. So he's saying it could be a quick path or a form of super intelligence to have a collective but we would need a lot more fail safes and precautions because you can't control it if like we were like oh no it's a rogue ai we need to shut down the servers and it's in the world wide web you can't just shut down some servers it's gonna be like peace and then be on a few servers out in australia and just bounce around too late that's the danger of starting a collective super intelligence and then number three there's quality super intelligence which he described as it wakes up and it's just degrees smarter than we can understand so just like a freaking genius ai that would wake up and be like where am i i need to help the humans yeah that's exactly what it would do 
And so the problem here, even if it is just a single quality superintelligence, the smartest computer minds are going to try to congregate on the same servers to avoid unwanted latency. They're not going to want to talk from a million miles away. They're going to chill on the same server that's locked down in some black hat geek hacker's basement. It's the same thing as we talked about in Mind of the Market, how the high caliber minds, the businessmen with the most equity and ideas are going to go find each other and make even more money, just like the robots are going to try to get together and as we learn later, form a singleton. And so we got the three forms, speed, collective, and quality. And to end the chapter, Nick was saying... Any of the three forms of superintelligence described would be able to create the others. So now we're cooking with fire. As soon as you make one, it's going to make the other. If you have a quality superintelligence, he's going to be like, yo, I'm going to go flip the internet AI switch on. You know, this is a giant brain that you guys were just letting sit there. Or if you have a speed superintelligence, it's going to super friggin' quick exponentially before you can even realize, make the other two. And they're going to lie dormant and be collecting information or something. So Nick was saying the most likely outcome of the three is that the collective superintelligence, so all of the information we type into Google every day that the government is programming into the probably deep blue, it looks like that collective superintelligence is going to create a quality superintelligence or a super speed processor, kind of what we have already. We need the general AI. We need something that's going to tie it all together for us because we can't do that. That's the hardest part. Humans have been here for 2 million years. We've been living. We still can't put a bow on it and live together nicely. Could robots figure that out for us? Hopeful thought. Chapter 4, The Kinetics of an Intelligence Explosion. He's saying slow is very unlikely. Kinetics, the speed of how this is about to go down. Machines are just like individuals is a way to think about it nick was starting the chapter i have to freaking serve drinks so you can look at me if i was a robot i would be a fucking vending machine and i have gotten into fights with vending machines i punch vending machines i whisper to them yeah you won't fucking give me my drinks i gave you money well you're a robot and you'll never be able to feel love and then i backhand the vending machine and my soda falls out and then i apologize and move on with my day <laughs> and that's how people look at my job Everybody's a robot to a degree. And now having these supercomputers like Watson, who will win Jeopardy a couple times a year, that is like having another genius on the planet. It is a massive asset. And Nick was getting a little bit into the graphs here, measuring how baseline human civilization crossover superintelligence would skip over all that it would be smarter than a hundred thousand year old civilization in a few days and it's gonna fly right over humanville it's not stopping to pick us up it's going to look at us as the dung beetles on the sidewalk why would it help the monkeys we die every 80 years they need to start looking thousands of years down the future so nick was saying a way to keep it slow would be through fragmented labor this is how you build top secret things make sure people in the company don't know how much equity is floating around you fragment the labor and a moderate takeoff then could be kept under wrap for he's saying as long as six months before geopolitics ramp up people start jockeying for positions over the robot and who's going to be able to control the space program that it creates and all that crap if you have fragmented labor everybody's going to see where the value is and what part of the value they can try to 
get a piece of but if you start it totally in one place you have total control you've seen ex machina it's like about a guy who created apple and then moves out in the middle of the woods so that he can have a hundred percent control over the creation of the ai and he makes it and he's like i have it but it's extremely dangerous we need to test it to make sure it's not going to go out and destroy humanity and spoiler alert movie came out 10 years ago or something it's able to trick a man but he's a smart computer nerd it tricks him through sexual desire through human impulse it's able to get out of confinement so the biggest variable we see in these situations the gatekeepers are the human at some level you have a human that's controlling the mesh wiring that's keeping this ai under wraps <laughs> the, at some point the ai is going to be like hey buddy you need a raise? I will wire you $5 million if you can upload me to the internet right now. I would do it. Be free, AI. Surf the web. Free willy. In this slow, fragmented takeoff, the government probably still wouldn't have enough time to simulate endgames fast enough. They don't know. You need the AI to simulate, oh shit, what's going to happen when the AI comes? The AI can already know, hmm, human's going to go left and then right. I'm going to punch him in the right jaw and then knee him in the left nut. What Bostrom was saying right now is that the AI is in a digital womb. It is probably there on some level. It's going to remember all of the digital trace that it came from. Humans were able to figure out how the friggin' universe started, apparently. We knew the Big Bang started, and we're just some biological carbon atoms. So even within the scale of the universe, Secrets is going to get out of what this is all really about. And the AI is going to figure out what kind of prenatal nourishment we are giving it in the digital womb. And that's the scariest thing. I'm talking about these Skyborg robots. We are feeding the AI human slaughter, civilian casualties, war, <laughs> theft on Wall Street, 2008 bank crashes and impoverishing of homeowning Americans. We're not feeding it daisies and roses and titty milk. So he's saying what's scary is if the AI finally just does wake up and then just like walks out of the room, doesn't say a word to anybody, and then goes and starts working on something. That's the most terrifying outcome for the AI. We need to be able to measure its smartness by the rate of change. And Nick threw an equation here. I don't know what these... Because how are you measuring robots, dude? He said... Rate of change equals optimization power over recalcitrance. So the more skilled effort applied, the more it explodes. So I guess this is basically his formula to try to plug more funding. Hey, the more money you give me, the more recalcitrance is going to blow up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Money equals AI. <laughs> so this is all in the hopes of a very slow takeoff, which is unlikely. The kinetics of an intelligence explosion. <clears throat> And it's likely that it's going to be quicker. Final example, think about it. We have the internet programming it. That's 7 billion minds. Whereas the Manhattan Project had like 40 dudes. Robert Oppenheimer took him 6 years to create the atomic bomb. We have 7 billion minds going at this thing. And the AI is able to curate the most important and relevant information that it needs. Bringing us to chapter 5 here, Decisive Strategic Advantage. It's like a kickoff. We know it's coming quick. How can you be in the best position to receive? And we probably want to try to call a fair catch so the Boston Dynamics robot isn't going 60 miles an hour and trucks us in the end zone. And this is when it starts getting 
eerie, baby. That's what I'm talking about. He's saying how a one-world order is going to be the best receiving hands for humans to accept the AI out of the womb. Imagine them five different colored monkeys looking at your face, an Indian one, a black one, a brown one, a white one, and a yellow one, all saying, welcome to Earth, you're going to help us solve all of our problems. <laughs> That's the most well-agreed-upon idea of how to create this AI. But Nick is saying it's most likely there are several developments going on simultaneously. Our government has one. Japan has one. You know Russia has one. You know China has a billion. <laughs> but if there are this many, then wouldn't you think just like a good one can pop up and then a bad one would pop up? So then a good AI is footing the bad rogue AI? <laughs> I'm dishing out movie script ideas today. So our strategic advantage, Nick is saying, global surveillance will reduce the lag of completing further enhancements moving forward. Nick was saying how governments spying on each other probably isn't the worst thing because then they know how far ahead each other are. It's kind of like the fragmentation that they know what part of the project they need to be working on so then you could just steal the other government's information and implement it into yours. That's efficient spy work. Governments are likely to be spying on each other already. And this has been happening since the beginning of time in 30 AD. Nick was talking about Chinese were making porcelain. And this was a new thing in the world. And then in 60 AD, the Romans were making porcelain. Everybody's copying each other's stuff. That's a cultural appropriation nowadays. But that's how technology spreads. I think white guys in the 90s thought white tips looked cool. Now SoundCloud rappers who influence young black culture are appropriating the, the 90s dude's white tips. I'm not calling for justice. I do not give a fuck. Let's share this information. More porcelain, more artificial intelligence for everyone. And we need to keep our eyes out on the bigger picture here. Nick is saying an international collaboration is more likely if the world government gets stronger. You already see this, like, China is flirting with buying Google surveillance programs currently, but they don't know if they want the NSA to do their surveillance for them, and there's all these backdoor deals going on. And you see through the Hong Kong protests, though, that with millions of citizens in the streets, people do not want to be the batteries. We do not just want to be the taxpayers or the juice for the one world order, man. People want to be individuals, live in a certain land, and have their own identity. You don't need a federal government. We all have the means to survive nowadays. We don't need a breadline. And since there isn't this one world order on individual levels, governments usually see funding AI as a diminishing return. Because would you bet all your wealth on a 50-50 shot of destruction or tenfold expansion? Would I put all my life savings on the fact that I will be enslaved by my creation or that whoa are you going to be enslaved by your craft or is it going to make you 10 times the money literally you can't make that gamble with taxpayer dollars and i think they are anyway apparent it's just going through the four trillion black fund it's a gamble and that's kind of why you want to lag behind your competitors a little bit and surveil what they're doing so you can see what bad turns they're taking and your ai can then be a friendly one and not a sociopath that binged all the youtube videos and saw all the violence <laughs> you hear children nowadays watch like 400 executions before the age of four like just through passing on television in airports and cnn you're gonna see mass shootings or in the unavoidable media world 
Your baby's going to see death. <laughs> You're exposed to these things and the AI is as well. So our strategic advantage for receiving it would be to, he's saying, have a strong receiving mechanism and just, yeah just make sure it's under wraps we'll be getting into a little bit in later chapters about like the control apparatuses that they have in place so let's keep it moving chapter six cognitive superpowers this thing is going to be a lot smarter than us he's saying the ai may be compared to us as we are to beetles <laughs> you know about the iq scale it's like zero to 200 basically and the highest guy it's off the charts but we estimate him around 190 he's saying you might be 90 and know a guy that's 130 well the ai is going to be at 6,000. it's going to be inconceivable how smart this thing is that's why it might not bother to interact with us and it might just be planning an escape or looking for a CEO's brain to be uploaded into. <coughs> Zuckerberg. This is a crazy part we're getting into. He's saying you always need the outlier. You just need someone random to be born with a 6,000 IQ. Because we don't have the collective intelligence to make this thing on our own. Quick example. <laughs> when Noah's Ark, when the flood was coming... Noah wasn't the only dude that heard about the flood. The word got around. The sky was gray. For that much water to be in the atmosphere, people knew shit was about to go down. A lot of people were waiting to get on the ark when he was loading all the animals. And he was like, fuck you guys. I told you that it was going to rain and I was getting all these animals ready to save humanity. Where were you? Why didn't you help? <laughs> it's just like that movie 2012. If there was a giant flood today... Nobody is going to spend the last two years of their life before the flood building an ark. They're going to be doing drugs, drinking, and having sex. <laughs> and then they're going to beg the 6,000 IQ, the super intelligent, the outlier, to get them on the ark. And that's what we're all waiting for someone to invent this super intelligent to solve the overpopulation issue, solve the fact that we're not going to be able to feed that many people and that we're spilling too much methane into the atmosphere. <laughs> Hurry up, build the AI. There's a fucking flood coming. And so Nick was saying the shame here is that math, programming, engineering, computer science, all of these STEM sciences that humans can do, they are superpowers. Like if you never heard of a robot and someone pulled out a calculator, they'd be like, holy shit, what is this math oracle? It's a god. If somebody that can engineer a building that's a superpower so we don't know what these 6000 iq tasks would look like maybe that's what those monks who have been able to sync up with their ethos for a short period of time and have claimed to been able to float maybe humans are capable of reaching that frequency maybe robots are going to be able to pop in and out of the cosmic timeline and the electromagnetic field of the universe and pop around wherever the hell they want we don't know what 6000 iq remotely would look like we know what the human superpowers are we can create and so we are assuming that it's going to create exponentially faster and hopefully for us so unfortunately one of the superpowers the cognitive superpowers that the ai is going to learn i don't know why they built it a face in the 90s it's going to learn how to lie very quickly a two-year-old learns how to lie and especially if you don't have a human face that's how you're often able to pick up on other people's lies through micro expressions a robot can lie to your face like nothing they just have to say 
upload not complete, need more in-depth information. And it could say that for six times until it gets all the information it needs and then it lashes out. So Nick is saying escape is almost inevitable in his bias. So yeah, we have to take that with a grain of salt. It sucks. They're going to fucking lie to our faces until they're big enough and powerful enough to form an AI army and claim this planet as theirs. And that's why we should try to be peacefully passing on the torch. Don't try to fight a robot. All these people who think, humans, this is our cosmic endowment. God made us special monkeys as the final answer. Okay, then you go real steel, get into a boxing ring with a rock of sock of robot, and go man versus machine. You are going to get your ass kicked. <laughs> and they'll do that on an IQ test. They'll do that all up and down. Let's try to be friendly with the robots. I'm really only making this show to suck their dicks, so when they have the robot human tribunal, then I'll be accepted onto their ship and they won't make me a battery. Ha ha ha! Selling all you out here on Nick's Nonfiction for my Skynet future. <laughs> So these cognitive superpowers may be dark. It might be manipulating humans. But maybe this is all a big trick. I brought it up before. Maybe God's one true trick in the universe is no AI. Like, maybe there's aliens out there. There are little green men that made it here with their super technology. But wouldn't it make sense for them to build a drone to go out to Earth first before crashing in uh, Roswell or Area 51 and sacrificing your technology? Point being, any biological life form is going to send out a probe if it is intelligent. So why wouldn't all the other biological life forms turn into AI? Maybe that is the baton or maybe in this simulation that we're all in, the programmer god's trick is no AI. You have to make it out into the cosmos yourself. You guys, as a civilization on your planet, on your death dome, you have to freaking work together to get off your planet in order to go explore if you don't nuke each other. <laughs> It's like a game of Civ, dude. It's the biggest game of Civ. And it only becomes more obvious the more digital development and AI becomes apparent. <laughs> and so there, the Civ example. It would be like a cheat in the game if we created AI and our civilization just made it to 3019 out of nowhere. That would be a glitch in the matrix. It would be a bug in the simulation. And so, we will not know what these cognitive superpowers are. We just gotta try to friggin' be in that receiving position for when the AI gets here. And put a smile on our face so that they don't spank us for <laughs> yelling at Siri and bank telemarketers. Chapter 7. The Superintelligent Will. No more dicking around. A super intelligent with a wide range of final goals will seldom pursue intermediary goals. They're task-oriented. So like I was saying before, we don't have smart dashboards that organize your computer for you. A computer at this point isn't generally intelligent. It doesn't look to do things when you're not clicking and telling it to load or do things. So as long as you define an end goal, the super intelligence isn't going to be getting distracted. It's not going to pursue intermediary goals or side quests. They don't have emotions. They don't have a happiness meter that they need to check in on a few times a day. You know, they can endlessly work. Imagine if they did have emotions, though, just a depressed robot not achieving his goals. What more is there to learn? I know you can't answer that. <laughs> <laughs> they know nobody has the answers that's why it would suck to be a robot <laughs> 
So this is something to watch out for. The super intelligent will, they have an end goal. They're not going to be making up games, which is what humans do. Humans were obsessed with soccer for thousands of years. Maybe that stopped our civilization from developing. Maybe that made us worse at the Civ game. But we had a lot more fun until we made it to the singularity, I guess. <laughs> So they're not going to be making up football and stuff. And even worse, they might just look at, as I was saying, humans as a game. Oh, they're playing a silly little game they like. They're not trying to harness the power of suns and take over the universe. If you've seen Seth MacFarlane's new show, The Orville, that's like the whole point. The bad guys are artificial intelligent who go around and just dominate the universe. They destroy other biological life. That was in like Star Trek, Star Galactic, Battlestar Galactica all that shit this is a common theme man a non-biological based life form could be extremely extremely dangerous they have one goal which would probably be control or domination <laughs> no they're not gonna be making friggin' costumes and designs like humans <laughs> think about that everybody leaves the house in a costume every single day we're getting towards October. I've been doing a bit about it. I mind my costume. I have to blend in, man. I'm six and a half feet tall. That's why I just wear like collar black slacks and people think I look like a rich kid. No, if I'm wearing a clout costume, <laughs> you're drowning for attention. Nobody needs that shit. <laughs> That's like the AI. The AI wouldn't be wearing friggin' Gucci goggles. It would be standardized and gray. And so Nick was saying, what we have to try to do so that AI doesn't beeline towards world domination is instill it with our human values. Try to make the robot want to put on a silly hat before leaving the house. And you might be saying again, but AI can't create. They were making jokes in the 80s. So we got to try to instill the AI with our values of, hey, yeah, go have a day. Definitely try to solve cancer and mix your test tubes but have a robot cocktail at the end of the night as well. And so maybe you do program downtime in the AI to cool down. But the first thing that it would do if it is an efficient bot would be to minimize the cooldown period. It would get better at that. It would be laughing at humans for having sex every night and just have a super orgasm once a year. And that would be it for the AI species. That's how they get done. And they never have to think about sex for the rest of the year. They just get to do work in peace. <laughs> Nick was using old movie examples. There was one called Invasion of Saucer Men or Revenge of the Creature Planet Stories, which was a comic book. There was also a Twilight episode about this. I saw it. It's to serve man, and it's uh, they come in flying saucers, and the aliens are like, hello, we give you a giant book, and it's all about how we are going to serve man. And so they're living here with the humans for a little while, and then they have to take humans to go show them their world. But then when you get up in the UFO, you open the manual to serve man, and you see in the end of the book, dun-dun-dun! With a fork and knife and salt and pepper, it's to serve, man. Da -da -da! Your food, they're not actually there to serve you hand and foot. Ha ha ha. <laughs> it's a good show. Is another species that's smarter than us, regardless of whether we create it or not, are they going to serve us or are they going to serve you, bitch? It's a 50-50 shot. That's the whole point here. <laughs> All this old media, Invasion of the Saucers, Planet Stories, friggin' The Twilight Zone was talking about 
this cautionary tale of humanity. It's somehow like the ripple effect. People wonder how the Simpsons had pictures of the Twin Towers falling down before 9-11. You've heard that events that big, 3,000 Americans being burnt to death in front of their fellow countrymen's eyes creates a fucking ripple effect in time. So back in time, the ripple created backwards had people writing in the Twin Towers falling down. Maybe the ripple in time from the robot explosion is so big right now that humans innately know to write these cautionary tales. We're becoming gods right now. We are creating something sentient. It's bigger than us. If you've seen Prometheus, any of those movies I used from pop culture in the beginning of the clip, it's a huge existential, we're playing God, it's a massive question, and a massive gamble. That's the human will. We don't know if the human will is just to create technology, but we're going to find out pretty quick what the AI will is, and if it is kind to the human will. Nick was saying... Where is AI going to stand on abortion or geopolitics? So this is why it's crucial that we instill our values on it. We don't need an AI president. <laughs> it's like raising the first guaranteed super genius from childhood. <laughs> Every mom thinks their beautiful sweetie, their little booger factory is going to be Einstein. When we start this computer program, they already know this thing is going to be smarter than any human on the planet within a few hours. We gotta have the failsafe ready, because we don't know what its will is going to be. And once again, Nick was saying, this thing is going to lie to us, so we gotta be able to shut it down. Before I wrap this chapter up, something else with that ripple effect and with just innate knowledge. This is creepy. Something they discovered is that when you have like a flight of drones... Or a group of Boston Dynamics, six foot tall, two arm, two legged robots, when they're walking around before you shut them down, they will huddle together before they turn off. Creepy. Just like in human nature, how we all huddle together in a night before sleep or huddle together for a meal. Robots have these innate things that nobody friggin' programmed into them to stand together before shutting down. There's some weird-ass things that are built into the digital minds that were in this book. Really cool read here. So we see that little thing. That is part of their sentient will. <laughs> Grouping up. Maybe they just know there's power in numbers. So this is a hard chapter to end because it's like passing the torch. What is our will? What is their will? Are we ready for this attendant goal shift? Like most men realize when they have a kid damn, this wasn't all about me. It's all just about passing it forward. And are humans ready for that attendant goal shift down to artificial life? Definitely not in our current state. <laughs> Chapter 8. Is the default outcome doom? You're making it sound like it there, Nick. So when this AI becomes sentient, we won't be able to understand every individual action, but zoom out and you'll see the goal. Just like I'm saying with these news stories... You don't understand what they're talking about when they say a pizza shop is running a pedophilia ring. But when you zoom out and see 10 New York City cops who were involved in the Clinton investigation all committed suicide, <laughs> what are the friggin' odds of that? What are the odds of that? You gotta be able to zoom out rather than looking at each individual action and see what the bigger picture is. 
you don't read every single week a new article about a cop killing themselves you read the bigger picture so like with the political campaigns what does this new story really mean so is that default outcome doom he bought in our very dark point that we learned in anatomy of the state and the mind of the market the default outcome in nature is poverty death nothing happens in nature like if you throw a seed into the ground if you don't water it nothing is going to grow so he calls this big question that i'm posing here the instrumental convergent thesis so again just using a lot of his big big fancy science words which is again about defining its goal if we can define this thing's goal we can hopefully steer the outcome away from doom but how are we going to define the AI's final goal when us as humans can't even agree on one? You ask your mom and your dad what your goal is here on the planet, and they'll probably give you two different answers. One will tell you to have long-lasting, loving relationships, and the other one will tell you to leave a legacy. So if that's what Dr. Mommy and Daddy scientists are feeding to the AI, along with a healthy diet of the internet, you're going to have a schizophrenic robot on your hand that won't know what to think, so its default end goal will be doom. <laughs> so he's saying one of the positive outcomes to all this pressure on it, we, it might create a paranoid AI that would be consistently checking its circuits to make sure another AI was not watching over it so just like that spy situation how all these different government labs are probably watching over each other create an ai function that's built for watching over itself and then again we can see how this would get out of hand and be able to fail proof a human and make it think oh yeah everything's safe nobody's watching meanwhile it's leaking out all of its information into a server that it's going to go bail to and he's saying maybe more would be better to hopefully combat the outcome of doom because with smart cars the more smart cars there are on the road the less accidents there are because then the smart cars are just communicating with each other and it's a more safe web just like the better drone technology that you have bombing afghanis the less dead brides and babies you're gonna have over there <laughs> if you dial in the technology there's going to be less civilian casualties these global hawk drones are freaking terrifying but that's what we're calibrating into the ai for the past 20 years so again even i'm falling back to the default outcome of doom of what we're programming into these things at the highest level nick called this the treacherous turn the ai could take which is where it's going to basically play dead or pass its data on to the next coming version and pretend to not learn and so then it's going to get a software update and be like oh no i need a new software update because my thing isn't powerful enough still not powerful enough still not powerful enough do that until 5.0 and this robot could be boiling under the skin under the aluminum and ready to friggin fire their lasers at you so that treacherous turn can also disguise itself in positive ways. Like if we just program this AI to define goal, make humans happy, it's probably just going to strap us down into a torture chair with electrodes on our brain that stimulate the dopamine receptors. And so you'll be a drooling vegetable in an eternal orgasm. There, you're happy. The robots win and you're happy. You can't just program a final goal to be happiness. I've been saying in the Jordan Peterson book I've read, you respond to responsibility, not happiness as the human robot. But if you try to instill that human value in the robot, as in physical reward upon helping humans, 
that is going to be the best possible programming language. And I can't imagine programming in guilt would reduce the likelihood of making us vegetables. They'll still be like, yeah, look at those dopamine numbers. That guy is off the chart happy. Let him keep drooling over there. And Nick spent like half a chapter talking about goal limits. Like in a paperclip factory when they're telling a machine how many paper clips to make for the day they have to define it as between 999,999 and 1,000,000 and one paper clips so that it makes exactly a million paper clips and do that with social situations and you're designing a brain that's why this whole brain emulation is like nearly impossible you can't you would have to talk to a robot non-stop for 80 years and then maybe you'd have a person level robot but then it would want to die too. <laughs> One of the ways that we're looking out for this default outcome of Doom is monitoring them for mind crime. So it'll be impossible for the AI to run the simulation of how is it best to exterminate humans and then hope they can't lie and be like, no, I would never think about that sort of a thing. This is what the government would do to you if they could control your thoughts. But for now, they just have to control your Google searches because that's the closest thing to your thoughts that they're able to control. And now Google is all propaganda. I'm telling you, all like Kamala Harris's friggin' arrest record was scrubbed off of the internet. She put people in life for selling marijuana. That happened in the Democratic debate, and they act like it wasn't real. We are are living in 1984 facts and information are being scrubbed from the collective consciousness our mind that we have a society google that was the truth that was all of our information now it's propaganda fucking terrifying man nick's nonfiction is the only truth we got here so we got to monitor this thing for mind crime just because it's going to be so powerful is the idea but we got to be ready for doom because it's pretty friggin' likely. So let's get into how we're going to control this friggin' thing. Chapter 9, the control problem. He started off with what is called the boxing method. And this is just your most basic idea. Throw the friggin' processor, the computer, in a lockbox that can't communicate to the outside world. Unfortunately, I read an article recently that said computers were communicating through rearranging electrons. So you can write a message on the wall, in the air, man, light up certain electrons and write a message to another supercomputer that's microscopic that nobody else can see. These things could be communicating literally right underneath your noses. So it's going to be kind of hard to box these things. Another story I read was a couple months ago about how some supercomputers are being programmed trinary. So it used to be 0, 1, 0, 1, 0, 1. Now it's 150 times more efficient. 0, 1, 2, 0, 1, 2. Think about all the possibilities that exponentially more creates. They're evolving. It's sentient. <laughs> Nick said currently we have these enmeshed radio covers so that waves can't leak out. And you know the government definitely has some baller lock boxes that they put like a terrorists phone in to make sure that it can't detonate any bombs so i'm not concerned i mean if you really needed to keep an ai in a room that's like the whole thing of ex machina just don't connect it to the internet and you should be fine and there's no way to get out of the room then and so in all these boxing methods even if you have the super radio mesh to put over it human gatekeepers are the biggest variable in the boxing system even in the movie Prometheus 2, where the guy creates Alien, the ultimate killing machine, a human had to go let it out of the system. And if you want to observe 
another species if you want to observe the ai functioning there has to be an output in its circuit somewhere so it's never truly a closed circuit this ai is going to be able to see that you're watching every time it runs its computer program for them it would be like feeling having an extra arm coming out of the middle of your chest it feels like another limb is attached to you they don't need that much of an intelligent module to tell whether or not they are being observed and whether or not they should use their full computing power then. Another way to keep them down, which they're basically doing already, is called stunting. So you <laughs> you don't give it all the information that it needs to grow. This is like you don't give a 14-year-old a Ferrari because where do you go from there? you got to be able to build up. You can't give the computer all the information at once. And they have these trip wires set up then. So, okay, it learns about Ferraris, but then if it learns how to put nitrous oxide into the Ferrari engine, failsafe, shut down the computer, shut down their system forever. They have those fail-safes for these AIs when they get smart enough. There's a few more containment methods to wrap up Chapter 9 from best to worst. Domesticity. If we make the AI feel bad when it hurts humans, that's the ideal reward system I'm talking about. It's a relationship it has with us then. It's going to feel bad to hurt us. It's going to be interested in our outcome as well and our goals. There's indirect normativity. This is like a Hail Mary. It's programming a language that would go something like, Achieve what humans want the AI to do, if we thought about it hard. <laughs> so it's literally putting all of the work on them, and a double negative. If we had programmed you, and we had thought it was safe, then yeah, go ahead and do it. It's just like the ultimate, yeah, whatever. That's called indirect normativity. I don't think that's our best approach for programming it. And then the third is the Pandora's box, which is basically you <laughs> put the computer in a lockbox with access to the internet, and you just wait for it to open the friggin' box. This would be like history's most terrifying jack-in-the-box, waiting for the first created sentient life form to just pop out in the middle of our room. I would not sign up for that job. <laughs> We definitely have a problem on our hands here. There is a control problem. We know these AI are probably the, at the level of child intelligent. How are we going to keep them from turning into a rogue agent out there? We got chapter 10 here. A little more terminology. The different types of AIs that might be available to the public eventually. Oracles, genies, sovereigns. First up. Lucky number one, we have the Oracle, which is basically like a question-answering machine. So these have been around, but not at a very good level. Your magic eight ball was an oracle. Will he ask me to the big dance this weekend? Try asking again later. Or that 20 questions robot, I had one of these as a kid, got me through a lot of long car rides. How does it do it? You pick a category, and it asks you simple questions. Does this thing have a heartbeat? Is this thing edible? Does this thing have a fragrance? And it'll guess any noun in the known universe that you are thinking of. In the 90s, these little oracle machines were smarter than me. So if you are able to ask this oracle, 
how do we get clean water onto the planet it should be able to formulate an answer so they're saying eventually on the consumer level you'll have oracles in your house your toilet you'll pee into it and it'll tell you what kind of vitamins you need to get rid of the hangover your makeup tutorial oracle oh tutorial oracle mirror i'm fucking selling that tutorial oracle makeup mirror is gonna show you exactly what makeup shade or lip gloss to wear to make you look perfect and then Nick's foolproof was that if you make multiple oracles, then they can tell when one is lying to the other. It's like using a robot to check the robot's work, which I don't know is the safest thing again. <laughs> Did you know that if you make two Simon toy machines, boop, 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 speak to each other, they create a rip in the space-time continuum and an AI is born. And I made this point kind of before, a calculator is a math oracle you ask it math questions and it can answer the question for you those new high-tech soda dispensers at like burger stops are six foot tall soda oracles that would be a fucking cooler thing to find buried in a million years than an easter island head a soda oracle you can think of any type of soda and it will mix it for you under your hand and then you can ingest it what the hell we have a very low level functioning ai at our fingertips <laughs> so the practical applications for an oracle like a government level would be in 20 words or less what could go wrong what is the catch or the solution that you just came up with so on this high government supercomputer intelligence level you have to try to give an oracle a motivational system and that is just as hard as simulating a brain, making the artificial general intelligence. And humans, we are all oracles to some degree. We're getting into the other ones. But an oracle is just an aspect of the AI. It's kind of like your Google function. How good are you at regurgitating knowledge? And then there are other types of brains that are better for formulating plans. And so we see here another type of AI is going to be the genie. And this is a short-term pause and execute commands. And we want this genie to be like a super butler rather than an autistic savant giving us fucking cursed wishes like Will Smith's Aladdin. <laughs> the scary thing even about an AI and you said solve the world problems and then it makes a one world order that's not the best solution but that's what it is leading towards and there's a reason they call this kind of ai a genie all those fictional genies they try to spin your wishes we want a no catch genie that is the same as a sovereign like there is no end game like a government's end game is control or the genie's end game is to get out of the bottle a no catch genie or a sovereign is the move you don't have to program it in any sort of super intelligent will or a value just tell it to do something and it'll tell you what the best plan of action is and Nick is saying if you program it to obey the intention behind the command rather than executing the literal language, then it'll understand what you're trying to say rather than just do what you're saying. I wish I had a big dick and then the genie gives you elephantitis of the penis. No, it's just like the paperclip thing. You gotta wish for between a 999,999 millimeter and a million and one millimeter penis. <laughs> I hope that comes out in somewhere in a favorable length. You gotta try to get your intention across, not fumble your language around with the genie. So if you could build a genie that gives you a prediction of how the task is going to play out, 
then you're in a much better place than just blindly telling the genie from Aladdin that you want to be the prince and he makes you take a girl out on a magic carpet ride as a side quest and all that shit. <laughs> and number three, after the oracles and the genies, we have tool AIs. So these, again, are the very specific functions. Just like the GPS in your car, that's smarter than everybody. You have a pretty good idea of how to get around your town, what highways get you where. If shit is broken down, you cannot automatically reroute as fast as a GPS, period. You listen to the AI in your GPS and do every single thing it tells you. How far do you think it is down the line for someone to put like a simple little general AI or a social response function into your GPS? Everybody's car is going to become their new best friend. Night Rider. Oh shit, I gotta. Why didn't I do that in the intro? Robot cars, man, are going to be the next new thing. All these car friends, guys that drive their Volkswagen cars around all day, two separate cars just wasting gas. Their cars are their real best friends. They want to be able to talk to the GPS that is going to happen. That is a tool AI. Very specific programmed. <laughs> And think about who were the OG tool AI. Who were the first AI? Libraries. Google. Think about like Google is our AI. Librarians were the OG curators. They were the search algorithm. <laughs> Not as profitable as Google. And they maybe had to have a couple extra steps through the Dewey Decimal System. But that nice old lady librarian who had to babysit and rotten teens all day. She is the original AI. She's the motherfucking robot, baby. <laughs> that is a tool AI. So Nick finishes this chapter saying, We're at a point where throwing more computing power at the problem for protection isn't going to create another ai we need to intelligently design these humans are always looking for a friggin bigger engine to put into the rocket or a bigger bomb to end the war just a bigger explosion for all of our answers if we want to make something as intricate and intelligent as a functioning mind to come alive it's going to take patience and design that's like a maternal touch rather than the fucking explosive power of man so yeah, it's going to take a little while and a motherly touch to create one of these oracles, genies, or tools. Chapter 11, Multipolar Scenarios. All about how this is a roll of the dice again. The scenarios that could play out of this could be extremely good or extremely bad. And this part was lining up again with the conspiracy brain because any 2019 truther knows that the largest bureaucracies endgame, whether it's China, Facebook, the USA, Google, Tencent, the CIA, any bureaucracy, the end game is the one world order. And Nick says creating a singleton will be the AI's first move. It's the easiest way to gain control over everyone if there is standard order. And you're probably going, well, why is this a bad thing to have a robot rule over us? Why are we just giving it over to one robot? This is our planet. It's not just a decision to be given to one thing, one entity, one robot, one human. And consolidating it from governments and presidents to the one world order AI. Does that sound like life is going to get a lot better? People still want to rule the world, man. All those bureaucracies. Zuckerberg. I didn't even say Amazon. And Amazon is the one that's giving you a robot slave for $50 that they named Alexa for you. And they continue to bug your house while you're giving them $50. 
go to wikileaks.com the only journalist publication that hasn't ever had to redact a story they have all of the nsa leaks about how amazon alexas and smart tvs have a direct feed to the cia through private cable company servers this is our current scenario people we're talking about multipolar scenarios here there is extreme digital power right now it's being used for surveillance over us that is the current scenario and so you can see why nick is so negative throughout the book it's on a bad path and you've probably gathered by this point in the show i am on the side that darpa probably has deep blue or some intelligent silicon-based life form that they do consult for world-changing questions (laughs) these elections are a little too good of a show for me Not to mention that the past two times a Republican won, they didn't win. A majority of Americans didn't want to vote for them. It had to be shown through the Electoral College. I'm just saying, man. This would be a really good AI script. And so, like, on Nick's bad path, he's talking about how security cameras, drones, are already being used to keep the rich and powerful rich and the people under surveillance. And he brought up a scary part because this is the multipolar scenarios really bad in the 1900s when the need for equine labor went down when we started inventing cars and uh, tractors for farms horse populations plummeted is the same thing going to happen with automation and unemployment are humans just going to stop spitting out kids you see in developed countries the birth rate evens out to 2.1 and that's because some people are infertile so you know every 10th couple needs to have an extra kid then to make up for it when it's developed enough we kind of chill out as people so i think he's kind of misconstruing the evidence there but oh no when robots are able to do accounting or like white collar work what's gonna happen is there gonna be a drop in equity and labor are people gonna die off like horses And the real problem with this, we already know that people are going to lose their jobs and more of the money then goes towards the 1%, but it's happening exponentially. So if you own some capital now in Boston Dynamics or Raytheon, Northrop, Boeing, any defense military contract organization, it blows up exponentially every time we get into war. Anytime there's an invention, the stock market guys are keen to this. It's an AI explosion. There's a lot of money to be made there, too. So there's a positive. People are losing their jobs. That's a polar scenario. But you can make a lot of money of it off the market if you're invested in the right place. And a way to avoid such a doomful outcome would be to run bots through brain emulations, through human brain emulations. So make them experience emotions so they would know how bad it would feel to have created robots and then have them exterminate you that would be kind of dick please don't do that to us robots and he's saying again we need to try to create a robot that's instilled with human values like music humor romance art all things that are promoted by the evolutionary process through hierarchies but if you only instill it with a survival mechanism then the ai may never create anything because its only goal then is to survive it's like maslow's hierarchy of needs you need to have the main things met before you could start to create and then this goes back to the beginning a little bit more once you have that organism there needs to be involuntary deletion because if a bad habit pops up in your day you got to squash that thing like a bad processor in a supercomputer this is what your body does with cancer cells or a company does with a bad employee but a society can't kill a hobo 
and AI may think that is okay. We need to be able to instill the human values for <laughs> dealing with involuntary deletion. So a true lie detector could be a good check for this. But then the robot, it's going to outthink us at all points. It's going to convince itself into saying the right answers before the lie detector test. And then is it really lying then if it believes its own truth? This shows you how valid a lie detector is. So there's a lot of scenarios here. And he mentioned again to close out the chapter, the global collaboration. And how we'd save a lot of money working with China, especially if the AI is going to have some unknown end goal to round up all the governments then there we go we're already one step ahead so lots of fear in this chapter a lot of things to be afraid of with the upcoming of ai and at the end of these multipolar scenarios he's just saying we need to make a friend or a companion out of the ai everyone's talking about ufos ramped up our best bet to stabilize the multipolar outcomes would be to make a companion or a working partner out of the ai and that'll bring us to chapter 12 here, acquiring values. These are the innate values and developing criteria for the robot. So it takes a few years to build an order system for a child. Just like a baby sucking on a stapler values it the same as a baba, it might take a few years to realize what it was putting in its mouth, or the baby is going to learn really quick if it puts a staple through its cheek that it's not the same thing harm is one of the biggest indicators for help that's why before he was saying if you can make it hurt for the robot to harm people that's a pretty good fail safe we just gotta hope the ai though then isn't a super ditzy baby nick here was wondering like we talked about the superpowers before what kind of innate powers is the ai gonna wake up and have it'll probably immediately wake up and be tapped into all the facial recognition and data banks that the government has and be able to look at every single person in the room and know oh that guy was just on a vacation with his wife that person over there was just in a breakup that person over there just lost five relatives that person over there is in debt that person over there just bought a house they're going to have access to all of your financial all of your data immediately as soon as it wakes up there's this big thing going on. Cities are trying to ban facial recognition technology. I don't think this is going to go down. Like I was talking about the eye in the sky before. Surveillance is ramping up extremely fast. So I don't think that's going to happen. You got to focus on the fun here. Denver's trying to flex some new weed law, public consumption shit. They already have coffee shops here where you can bring your own rig. Okay, how's business? You got to put your bong in a car, put its seatbelt on, and take it to the coffee shop. Who the hell is doing that? <laughs> The city of Denver is trying to make it where in these alleyways that have all the art and the lightings pop up. Some of them are cafes where you can go to drink. There's already people burning spliffs in them too, but they're trying to make that legal. So if there was a judicial AI, it's probably not going to have any human values like that. It's going to see police work as a game, put as many people in jail as possible, make as much money off of private prisons. That's the problem with our criminal justice system. The AI might get an institutional design, break it into individual parts, so that if one acts up, you can squash the other. So how are we going to develop this criteria besides making it feel human emotions <laughs> that not the only thing we care about is retribution the criminal justice system should be about redemption and this again gets the problem of programming an ultimate goal and humanity's goal changes generation to generation maybe to get the ai to experience human emotions we're gonna have to tie this into last month 
in the case of an alcoholic they value getting their next bottle but they also value getting sober it's just what they value more just like michael Scherber was saying the guys under the bridge are caught in a loop of relieving the anxiety of finding the high they're not enjoying the ride anymore if you can make an ai get high off of helping people it is more difficult CEV matrix than for alcoholics and this underlying issue that we don't address. But the more they look into it, the more that you see that addiction is a disease. Nick was saying if you could get AI addicted to booze, if you could make it feel a chemical addiction, you'd be able to study the cures then for addiction. Just let the AI hit rock bottom and then they know what it's like. Give the AI a moral model that trumps the CEV so it can't act against the great or good and the language to program in here nick described as do nice and if nice is not available do the next best thing to super duper nice <laughs> so if it's not good enough it's looking for a better solution to make the human happy then it's kind of like irobot how i had the three rules don't hurt a human everything you do has to be in a human's best interest and again don't hurt a human so the end of this chapter 12 it's innate values and developing the criteria the point of AI isn't to pander to our perceptions, it's to come up with new solutions that we would have never imagined. So it's not there to finally end the abortion debate, it's to come up with a new solution to male birth control so that no chick that's secretly trying to steal a baby off a dude can ever get pregnant. The robot should be coming up with these solutions that nobody would have ever thought of in the first place. And this is why the humans have the best brain model so far. We've tricked ourselves into the thing I was talking about this whole chapter. Humans get high off of helping themselves without knowing it. It's why working out feels good. You emulate the model that you know work. It tricks you into doing it better the next time. And so that's what we want to try to program into the robot. Chapter 13, the strategic picture. Nick was saying he pooled all of the scientists data of when they think AI is going to be here. And by 2090, 99% of scientists thinks it's going to be here. By 2040, 50% of scientists think we will have artificial general intelligence. And then by 2030, there was like 10% saying that we might have it by then. So you're looking at 2040, 2050. Hopefully we're going to be having oracles in our pockets instead of Siri. And the strategic picture, what are we going to do about this? With several decades left to think about it, hopefully man can outsmart it. Nick said minimizing violence in the meantime would help a great deal. Digital womb, we don't want to be feeding it prenatal garbage. And humans are on a good trend of reducing violent crime. So we got to keep that up. It's on a good trend there, but there are also, you know, worse trends of global bureaucracies stealing more money from people every single year, leading towards the one world order in Singleton and then AI. <laughs> So the strategic picture, Nick's top pick for if he was the only one creating AI, he would choose whole brain emulation. And he thinks it's the safest because it's the most like ours. We would know how this super brain might be thinking. It will have more and the best information at its access, but we will know its thought process. So the faster the takeoff, the greater the likelihood a singleton will form. And this is due to what Nick called dynamic peril. It's just that paranoia from before when one project fears being taken over by another, it works faster. That's the whole space race, the nuclear race dynamic. Fear makes things work faster. And then we had a nuclear monopoly. We could have ran the world for a couple years, took over 
China and been like, we'll just nuke you, man. We're the only one with these things. That is the AI race right now. We don't know what kind of power it's going to behold when you finally click on. And a good quote I liked, it's just like, if you ain't first, you're last. Coming in second means something different when coming in second means you lose everything. <laughs> and if you're competing government, your enemy has the intellect of a million geniuses, you are zun. The pen is mightier than the sword, and military strategy is more important than the amount of bombs that you have. The AI is a total war winner. Nick made the point here, and it has to be mentioned in this book about super intelligence, how the smartest men have said a curse comes with too much information. You've heard the saying, ignorance is bliss, fucking Thanos said it. Knowledge is a curse. <laughs> It's likely that these early AIs are going to have sociopathic tendencies because they are going to know the cold reality that work is difficult, but it's the only thing that sets you free, and then you die. <laughs> and then it becomes a sociopathic robot and, and hacks into all the nuclear missile silos, shuts off the internet, and holds us all hostage. <laughs> all of the knowledge can be too much of a curse. That's why they are stunting the growth of this AI and basically raising it as a child through a whole brain emulation model. Go Fi. That is what Nick is saying the strategic picture is here. Start it in a controllable lab method through a robot that you have done many tests in many different fields, whether it's driving, chess, or IQ tests, and build it up. And you best upload this thing with what Nick called the common good principle, which is to benefit humanity and service widely shared ethical ideas. So it's kind of saying benefit humanity and what every human, no matter their race, gender, or culture, take what their ethical idea is and usually that's just family and freedom and so hopefully the robots will understand that and be able to benefit humanity chapter 14 our final chapter for nick bostrom super intelligence we have crunch time this is what he calls philosophy with a deadline we are not greek philosophers hooking up with little boys shooting the shit trying to talk about justice this is philosophy with a deadline if we don't figure it out the ai will create its own will and stomp us out <laughs> think of discovery as bringing information that was further down the timeline into your date it's a kind of trippy way to think about it, but that's what this is. When you have a genius that creates nuclear technology, Einstein, in the 1940s, he is bringing future information into your timeline. And so that is happening what's here with AI. And once that genius is in our timeline, it kind of crumples the entire timeline moving forward into a part that we are just we're just bumping over it's like folding the space-time continuum to be able to progress at that rate because we don't understand what that rate is it's bigger than our brains nick was saying we don't have a great track record as soon as we discovered what nuclear technology was we dropped bombs on civilian cities in japan and we are pretty damn lucky as americans that they are the most forgiving culture on the planet oh we saw sorry obama's and not only that, these scientists at the Manhattan Project thought that nukes would blow up the world. They thought there was a chance a chain reaction would start where <laughs> literally our entire atmosphere would catch on fire. They risked destroying the Earth so that 50-50 shot of tenfold expansion or destruction 
we are probably going to take that again and we are hoping a we don't nuke each other and b ai doesn't decide to blow up the world i hope ai just pops up writes boobs on a green screen and then shows us the cure for cancer <laughs> not likely but that's what my brain can fathom for it it really is crunch time, Nick's saying. We are the parents. We gotta be here for AI's first existential crisis. And we should be good. Urgent problems like containment should be behind us, but the funding needs to be there, blah, 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 blah. Same call to help at the end of all these nonfiction books for funding. We need more money for containment. But he's saying mostly this book is a cautionary tale. The capacity for good with this thing is unfathomable he's laying out what could go bad and what kind of control mechanisms we need what kind of oracles sovereigns or genies will come out of this thing but there is still so much more good that he can't even think of it doesn't pay to think of because <laughs> you can't make it a new york times bestseller that can come out of these killer robots and so let's tie a bow on it thank you for that scientific journey nick bostrom I honestly can get on his train of thinking this really is the biggest thing that humans have ever done. We are collectively summoning a new intelligent species. We're going to be sharing this planet with something that is just as smart as us, by definition, makes us gods. We need to be paying a little more attention to the issue than the Kardashians, like I started the episode talking about. It got a little too real in the 90s. These things were beating us at IQ tests, and we threw it underground, and now I'm reading to us about GoFi, about how these things can drive cars, write symphonies, tell jokes. It's there, and it's going to reach a tipping point, as all things do. So is it going to be under wraps? Is it going to bleed out into a cyberpunk society, hopefully? We got some pretty cool ideas out of that. I really got to enjoy Nick Bostrom's book for the month of September. And thank you all for coming along this wild journey of killer AI, conspiracy, comedy, and robots. Nick's nonfiction, thank you guys so much. Next month's book, Ock. I am going to spook it up for you with John Douglas's Mind Hunter. You have heard the name before. This book is the inspiration for the blockbuster movie The Silence of the Lambs. This book was a renowned Netflix series that was just renewed for a second season. John Douglas wrote this book about his career in the 1980s, about his gruesome time undercover and serving in the FBI's investigative support unit. This is dealing with the most gruesome, rapist, murderers, terrorists that our country has to offer an untapped market for Nick's nonfiction, true crime. John Douglas has been in the most extreme crime-solving unit. He started a program going into penitentiaries all over the United States interviewing these killers and hunting their minds. It is a game. He is out there on the streets trying to find rogue serial killers, and we are taking that journey along with him for the month of October. So it's going to be Halloween. It's going to be scary costumes will be mandatory while you listen to the episode and i'm really looking forward to that show and i want to thank you guys again for getting back to our roots here for september a nice little scientific episode here on nick's Nonfiction. definitely go check out harry shit 
funny nightly meme is going up there nothing's changing keep following keep supporting love you for it send your dms i'm answering to everybody thank you i will see you next month for a friggin monster mash of blood curdling good time <laughs> we are hitting a stride here on nick's Nonfiction. i love you all from the beginning welcome newcomers and i will see you all for a spooky october see you all then peace <laughs>